Well, this week we'll be talking about evangelism at work. So what does it look like to actually evangelize our lost colleagues? Well, God in his kindness and sovereignty has assigned each of us as his ambassadors different workplaces with different types of jobs. And though these jobs vary in practical earthly function, every workplace contains people. People made in the image of God who were created to know and love God. But many, if not most, of our co-workers and our clients and those whom we interact with do not know about Jesus and have never likely heard, heard a clear explanation of the good gospel. They're dead in their sin, they're apart from God, and they are awaiting the judgment of God that will end in eternity apart from him. Unless, unless they hear the gospel and they repent of their sins and believe and believe upon the Lord Jesus for forgiveness. And God has chosen you and I to sit next to them at work, or to be on Zoom with them every day, or to report to them, or to uh, have them report to you. Why? Why has he placed you in this role, in this specific time, next to these specific people? Well, bluntly, it's so that they might not only see the fruit of the gospel in your life, but that they may actually hear the gospel. We want to see both. We want them to see the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, but we also want them to hear the gospel. And we want to be clear on this, because our work matters, and it should be done for the glory of God with all excellence, with fervor, and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Work in itself is good, and we can do that for His glory. But if we think our work is only about God providing financially for us, or for us to make products that serve our neighbor, or reflect God's beauty in some way, If that's the only thing we think work is useful for, we're misunderstanding the story of Scripture and of salvation itself. The foundational message of the Bible is this, that God is reconciling sinners to himself through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Full stop. That's that's it. Every human on earth needs to hear this message of Jesus and respond to it with repentance and faith. There is a day coming when the Lord Jesus will return to judge the living and the dead. And this day will be the best day ever for us, those of us who are in Christ, or it will be the worst day ever for those who are apart from him. Your coworker's response to Jesus is infinitely more important than how well you help your company do, how kind you were at work to your colleagues, or how much money God used that job to provide for you or for the needs of the church. This isn't pitting faithful, excellent work against evangelism at work. In fact, faithful, excellent work is an apologetic that can aid in evangelism at work. But it is a prioritization of what matters most. Your colleagues need Jesus, just as you and I need Jesus. And we aren't understanding our roles as ambassadors if we don't labor to evangelize our colleagues. So before we get into some practical ways we can actually evangelize our colleagues at work, let's recenter ourselves on the foundations for evangelism. What, what is evangelism and how should we think about it? So we're going to talk briefly about God's sovereignty, our supplication, that it has to be scripture-centered, and that it's, it is spoken. It is not, it's not simply demonstrated, it is spoken. So first, God's sovereignty. Romans 1.16 says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. We did not save ourselves. God did. Totally, fully, and sovereignly. We were his enemies, yet Christ died for us. 
The enemy wants us to believe two lies. Number one, that we had something to do with our salvation. He wants us to think that we somehow were good or better than others and that we had earned favor with God. And he also wants to believe that it's up to us to save our colleagues. He wants to put the pressure on us to make us think, if we don't do X, Y, Z, our colleagues won't get saved. Or if we don't do this in this certain way, then Joe, who I sit next to, will never know Jesus. That first lie, that we had something to do with our salvation, produces pride, produces arrogance, and may even produce apathy. Because if we see ourselves as better than those around us, and we we see the fruit of their life and how they're not living godly lives, we will be tempted to, or uh, we can be tempted to not think that they are good enough to receive the message. Or we'll just be blind in and of ourselves to not even see that they need Jesus because that's what pride does. And then the second lie, which it's up to us to save our colleagues, produces a fear of rejection and anxiety that can lead to cowardice. If we think it's up to us, then their response to it is directly tied to our identity and whether or not we're being faithful ambassadors or we're being faithful Christians. And so if we think we're, we're the ones that have to save our colleagues, that fear of rejection and anxiety might actually tempt us to not boldly share the gospel or to not uh, faithfully, explicitly tell to them the message of, of salvation. God's sovereignty is gloriously comforting, freeing, and should produce boldness in us. If God can save you, or not, you and I, he can save anyone. He could save any one of our colleagues. It doesn't matter how far they are. We were just as far from them. We were God's enemies, yet he saved us. And since God is sovereign, we're free to boldly share the gospel, trusting that God can and will use it. When we share the message of what God has done for us in Christ, God can use it. And we can face rejection and persecution because we've already been given everything we need, which is God himself. We can boldly share the gospel with our colleagues, even if it results in us losing our job or them never speaking to us again, because we have God. And that is the best thing ever. And so God's sovereignty lays the foundation for evangelism. But not only God's sovereignty, our supplication. So God's sovereignty and salvation should produce in us unceasing supplication in evangelism. Now, if you weren't here for the, um, the week where we talked about unceasing prayer at work let, uh, that Eric Butterbaugh taught, you should go back and listen to that because he, he gives a great overview of what does it look like to pray at work. And one of the, his application points were is that we should be constantly praying for our colleagues, for them to know God, for, for God to open their hearts, but also for God to open doors uh, for us to proclaim boldly what Christ has done for us. So let's, let's together turn to Acts 4, 23-31. So Acts 4, 23-31. Now this is the prayer of the early church right after James, Peter, and uh, Peter and John were arrested before the Jewish leaders for proclaiming the gospel. Um, so let's read this together and see what the believer's prayer was when they faced persecution and trial in evangelism. Somebody want to read uh, Acts 4, 23 through 31? Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in, and everything in them, 
who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan have predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God. I love that because, honestly, it's probably the opposite of how I would have responded in that moment. They, they had just witnessed persecution. They had witnessed a foretaste of what, what was to come as they were heralds of this gospel message. Yet, in verse 29, I love verse 29, it says, um, And now, Lord, look upon their threats. So they're acknowledging that persecution is, is there, that it's present, that it's going to continue to come. And then they say, And grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. They asked God for more boldness and more open, open doors. They trusted in God's sovereignty and that Jesus alone can save. And as a result of their trust of God's sovereignty, even despite the persecution, they petitioned before the Father to spur them on towards more faithful and bold evangelism. You'd expect the opposite. You'd expect a strategy planning session of how they could better protect themselves or change the message they were proclaiming to make it less offensive or dangerous. But they don't. God's sovereignty led them to the place of understanding that while they were still sinners, Christ died for them. That had changed their eternities, and so they were boldly asking for God to continue to open doors for boldness no matter what the cost. We too should pray like the early church. In our workplaces, we must petition God Almighty for open doors, boldness, and that the hearers of the message would respond with repentance and faith. So let's be people who pray before, during, and after every evangelism opportunity with colleagues at work. And for that matter, let's pray before every encounter with a colleague. Not that every encounter with a colleague we're going to be sharing the gospel because we do have work to do, but let's be asking God continually and regularly for open doors for that person to hear the message, for God to use us to proclaim the message to them, and that they might respond with repentance and faith. Thoughts on God's sovereignty and our supplication before we get into evangelism that is scripture-centered? Yeah. I was going to say a third lie that I'm tempted to believe yeah. is everyone seems so fine at work, mm. so I'm tempted to believe the worldly lie of you're good, you have your life, and you have your belief. It's like, I know I need Jesus, but you seem fine. And so, you yeah. just keep living your life. And so, I feel like I'm really tempted to believe that worldly lie. Yeah, no, that's really good. Yeah, uh, I, I'm not going to get the reference, but, you know, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Like, we're tempted to actually believe that lie with them, as you pointed out, of, hey, they have a good job, they're making lots of money, they seem like their family's in good shape, they're taking vacations, like, they're set. But that's actually, like, we're being deceived when we think that. Rather, they're, they're actually image bearers who are apart from God, who are facing judgment if they don't turn. So, yeah, that's, yeah, that's really good. Thanks for pointing that out. Any other thoughts? All right. Well, our evangelism should be scripture-centered. 
So let's read Hebrews 4, 12 through 13 together. Someone can read Hebrews 4, 12 through 13. Or no, sorry, not 12 through 13. No, no, yeah, 12 through 13. For the word of God is, act, is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Hmm. So what does it say about the word of God? It's living and active, yep. What else does it say? Sharper than any two-edged sword. What else? Discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It can discern the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Wow. What else? One more thing. Piercing to the division of soul and of spirit. Yeah, it can. It is piercing the division of soul and spirit. It's living and active. It can pierce through anything. It can pierce through the, uh, uh, the uh, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Can we discern our co-workers' intentions? Can we discern what's in their heart? No. I mean, the, the Spirit can enlighten us to maybe glimpses of how they're doing, but the Word of God can. The Word of God can pierce through any clutter, anything that is blocking them from seeing the truth of God. Are we strong enough to pierce the division of soul and spirit? Absolutely not. But the Word of God can. The Word of... The word is God's revealed truth to all creation. And whenever it goes out, it does not come back void. It contains the words of life, and God uses it to draw people to himself through the Spirit. So there's no better weapon for you and I to to use in the spiritual battle for lost souls than the word of God. But for us to use it, we must know it. So evangelism, to some extent, is fueled by the faithful preparation of the believer in the knowledge of the word. And so... The word is God's weapon for proclaiming the gospel message. That is what we use when we are proclaiming the message of Christ, which necessarily entails that we know our Bible uh, uh, well, that we're able to recall it, that the Spirit can use it in that moment. We're not always going to have the the Bible in front of us. Maybe, I guess, to some extent we do now with our phones. But we want to be quick, just as uh, Jason was talking about last week, where Ezra was skilled or quick with the word. We too must be quick with the word in evangelism because the word contains the words of life um, for, for the hearer to come and know Christ. And so let's center our evangelism on the Bible. Let's let the word do the work. We are just the, the message bearers. And then lastly, it is spoken So evangelism is the verbal proclamation of the good news of Jesus with an aim towards repentance and belief. It must be spoken. Your unsaved colleagues will never be saved unless they hear the gospel. No amount of excellent work, no patience, no amount of patience produced by the Spirit in you towards them will save them. They must hear and believe. Romans 10, 14-17 says this, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So again, just to make this clear, excellent work is good and we should do it. We should be faithful and excellent in our work. 
it's in an apologetic for our evangelism. It is not evangelism. Your colleagues will not come to know Christ if you're just a faithful, God-centered person at work. They need to actually hear the message. And so if we're going to evangelize our colleagues, we will have to speak the gospel to them. We have to open the word with them so that they can see and read the words of life. There's, there's no other... People are going to tell you, oh, just be faithful at work, and they're going to come to... Know. Like, there's just such a deception of, like, in, in modern culture, partly because we fear man and we don't want to be rejected, but the reality is, is that we have to share the gospel verbally with our colleagues. They will not come to know Christ unless they hear it and believe. And so it is spoken. So evangelism, we rest on God's sovereignty in evangelism. If he saved us, he can save anybody. That should necessarily lead us, lead us toward, towards unceasing prayer and supplication for our colleagues and for God to open doors for boldness because that is not, that is, boldness is not natural within us. That is a fruit of the Spirit. Um, uh, evangelism needs to be Scripture-centered, so we must know our word and be quick with it. We must let the word do the work. It is our sword in the spiritual battle. And then it is spoken. Let's not be deceived. It is, it is a spoken message. Thoughts on foundations for evangelism before we get into evangelism in practice at work? Anything particularly helpful or things unclear or you have questions about? I really like the point about praying for open doors. I think one thing to think about in terms of open doors is we should also be seeking them. Hmm. Um, I told the girls good. this week, just, they're just, I was really discouraged this week about like consistent sin in a lot of the nominal Christians um, in my workplace, but that actually like kind of fueled a fire in me to actually go talk about Jesus like hmm. intentionally. And I was like, all right, Lord, please just, Mm. I need to have, like, two conversations today, like, about mm. Jesus, because this is, like, really discouraging that people are walking in darkness or, like, claiming the light. So, mm. I think, mm. totally, 100%, we should be praying for open doors, but I think also just, like, seeking them out. And That's yeah. good. And yeah. also, like, um, I'm still navigating, and maybe, I'm sure we'll talk about this, like, the actual evangelism at work in practice, but I'm still figuring out, like, how to start those conversations, but... I think a stepping stone for me is there are a lot of Catholics in my office. And so, like, two conversations this week, I was like, hey, I know, like, we go to different churches. Do you mind if I just, like, talk to you about what I believe? And, um, like, I know it's a little different from what you believe, but it people, especially if they do have a church background, like, that felt like a easy, a little bit of an easy step. I was like, yeah. I'm not going to think I'm totally weird. Like, <laughs> because they do go to some church. Yeah. So it felt like... Obviously, I want to be talking about the Lord with people who don't go to church anywhere. But for me, it, as I'm learning this, like that was helpful to just talk to people who have some understanding of whether or not it's true. Yeah, that's great. And especially for not nominal believers, asking them to explain what they believe to you may actually help them realize that they don't actually know what they're talking about. You know, I don't say that meanly. It's just like I've had conversations like, oh, like, hey, you grew up Catholic. What, what does that mean to you? What do you believe? And they kind of fumble through things. And then God opens doors for us to like, ask questions and hopefully bring to mind different passages, as we talked about, that can actually help point them in the right direction. But, Sister, I love your, yeah, your intentionality and boldness even this last week. Yeah, we, we, <laughs> we must pray for God to open doors, but then actually go knock and see if, uh, see if God's going to open. Just like Paul. Paul's like, I want to go to, he's like, I want to go to Asia. And then God's like, the Spirit's like, nope. Uh, and, he, and he redirects them elsewhere. So, but Paul was actively 
trying to get to new places to, to share the gospel. So that's good. Yeah, and feel free to interrupt at any point. Uh, we're not going to cover everything uh, of what it looks like to evangelize at work uh, in practice, but hopefully these will, this will be some good kind of uh, foundational points for us to, to all think about and pray about more. So we're going to, we're going to, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Amen. But I mean, it also served as an apologetic for you. Like yeah. you saw that something was different, which made yeah. you probably more open to be like, oh yeah, this actually produces life change. Yeah. So they, they're both needed, but one is like sharing the gospel is what is to be prioritized. And that is what is necessary for somebody to come to salvation. I do have a question about that though. Because as, as much as we prioritize that, there are always going to be switch jobs or Mm-hmm. Like there are going to be people, countless people that we interact with that we don't ever get to actually share the gospel yeah. with. Like there was a, a family that I yep. tutored for for a whole year. I met with this little nine-year-old named Josephine, and her life is just chaotic, and her parents don't believe in sin, mm. therefore they have no discipline, they don't, mm. there's just no structure. Mm. And I was like the only, I guess, stable thing in her life. Um, it was really hard for mm. her to like... Yeah, but anyway, mm. throughout that whole year, I was like just built, developing a relationship with this little girl. Mm. Um, and I would be sitting either on their porch with their like screen door mm-hmm. or in their dining room where their parents can hear everything that I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I know that I didn't have the permission to like share the gospel with mm. their daughter. Mm. Um, so I didn't get to explicitly, mm. but I, I do think that God can use even those pieces. Yeah. And that if it's someone else down the road, she yeah. can remember, oh, we had a conversation about grace and forgiveness and mm. repentance. Yeah. That was something. Mm. So there, there is, even though it might not be evangelism in the strict sense, it's still something that God can use, right? Yeah, no, it's yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, so uh, being a faithful, spirit-led, spirit, uh, fruit-producing person, God will God will use in any number of ways to encourage those around us, believers, and then also non-believers, as Shannon was sharing in her testimony. Um, in that in that instance, you know, unless you were able to actually speak the like share the gospel explicitly, like you you didn't necessarily evangelize her. That doesn't mean that you weren't being faithful with the opportunity that God has, you know, gave you in that moment. And if you just even, if all of us look back at our own stories, like God probably used multiple people in multiple different ways, scattering gospel seeds, both in in word, but also in deed to bring us to a uh, place where where we actually turned uh, and believed upon Jesus. So 
um, I think it, I think we need to hold in balance. We should be actively seeking out those opportunities to share the gospel. But also, at the end of the day, we need to rest in God. That's where it comes back to God's sovereignty. Like you were not, you you wouldn't, you will never have been responsible for that, for her salvation. Like God would, God has to save that little girl and that that family. Um, that doesn't, yeah. Uh, and we should be prayerfully, you know, asking the Lord to open opportunity opportunities to share the gospel. Um, and now you, you know, now you can pray that the Lord would put another believer in their life. Um, that he might open a door for, for, uh, you know, for the the verbal gospel to be shared. So it, it is a tension, and I and I feel that all the time. Like some of our neighbors were moving away a couple months ago, and we we hadn't had the chance to share the gospel with them yet. We were trying to get dinner, and then COVID, and all these things. And finally, I, like got an opportunity, to, like the day before, the night before uh, they left. You know, I invited the the guy over for to have a fire and a beer, and by God's grace, like he opened a door to share the gospel. But like, there's other neighbors that had moved away that I just, you know, hadn't hadn't had the opportunity. And honestly, part of that was my own my own unwillingness and my own lack of boldness. So I think it's as we think about people in our life, I think it's good to just honestly come before the Lord and be like, Lord, am I just am I not being bold in this in this in this instance? Are you not opening a door for me to proclaim the gospel? Um, but for asking for him to kind of reveal where our heart is in that moment as well. So, does that make sense? Yeah, that's helpful. Yeah. No, that's good. Yeah, and encourage that. Yeah. I mean, that's all these things should weigh deeply on us. Like, we should be, <laughs> I'll get to it later, but we should be like moved when people don't know the gospel and people don't respond in the way that we would hope that they respond. So, yeah. 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 And so I cannot be, I'm not going to provide the water and the soul in, in, in the sunlight. And so there are going to be so many different aspects and so many different relationships in their lives that help them kind of grow. And I think thinking about it that way also helps me from being too impatient. Um, because sometimes some people just aren't ready yet um, to hear the gospel, I feel like. Sometimes their hearts aren't quite open just yet. And so I find that when that conversation is rushed, especially if they have reservations about the gospel, then sometimes I feel like I do more harm than good. Um, and so I kind of try to think about, of course I ask God for the wisdom of like, give me the opportunity and give me the heart to do this. Um, but if, and I don't mean to say like, oh, but then if I miss it, like, oh, well, it's mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean Paul and I think it's First Corinthians talks about, you know, I follow Apollos, I follow Paul, and you know, Paul talks about he's like, Well, you know, we scatter seeds, but ultimately some water, some plant the seeds, but God produces the growth. So ultimately like God is the one that's gonna produce salvation in someone. The only thing I might kind of caveat in what you just said is I don't think we'll ever fully know whether like we won't know whether someone is like at that point of ready to hear the message or not. Like we're called to, to share the message. Uh, and, you know, as we talked about the, the word of God is living and active, able to pierce uh, uh, and, and discern what's in their heart and in their mind. And so I think we need to err on the side of, Hey, even if they don't seem ready, this is the word of life. Like this is what is able to save their souls. This is able to 
regenerate them and give them a whole new perspective. Um, so I think we I think we should err on the side of in love. Like you don't want to just like ram it down their throats, but we have the words of life. And at the end of the day, like we need to trust that God can use the gospel proclamation to to help that. And it may result in rejection. That doesn't mean like God can't overcome that. And we're not going to be we're not going to be perfect faithful ambassadors who balance the in like in love and you know and they may not take it as love but 10 years from that point when another person shares the gospel with them and they do come to believe they may look back on that moment and be like wow that was actually really loving of that person to share the gospel with me when i was when i was at a point when i was hostile towards it because this is what i needed to hear so yeah let's let's be let's be asking god to to give us wisdom and and when to share and how to share but i'd say and this is from my own personal experience, I probably err too much on the side of like, ah, oh, they're not ready or they won't believe. And then I don't actually share it when actually it's like, no, this, regardless of what I think, they need to know this message. So, but yeah, I think that's, uh, it's good things to think about. Well, let's, let's get into what does it look like to, to do this in practice at work? Number one, seek out relationship. So I think it starts, it starts with relationship. That doesn't mean you could have one conversation with a colleague and if you know God opens the door to share the gospel, you don't have a relationship. He can use that to save that person. But I think it's helpful for us to, to prioritize building relationships with them. Secondly, scattering gospel seeds, as you just mentioned, sister. Um, third, actually sharing the gospel. Like at some point, like we got to share the gospel with them. And then lastly, squashing the enemy schemes. So we just need to be aware of the enemy schemes um, in our evangelism at work. So it's not likely wise for us to come into a new job, guns blazing, preaching the gospel at every moment, like first meeting. Hey guys, I just want to set the stage. Now, he may open the door for you to do that. Um, and you know, Shane, I know you got to share the gospel in the first week of your new job, which is amazing. But I think there's a way to do it tactfully and, and, and winsomely um, uh, as well. So, uh, but we must be people who intentionally seek out to build relationships with our colleagues. And that takes intentionality, that takes sacrifice, that's gonna take humility. Because at the end of the day, the temptation is to view your colleagues as work products. And so you're gonna like wanna get to know them for a means of like advancing your own career rather than to get to know them as an image bearer who needs to know God. Like our priority should be to get to know them. And yeah, we're gonna work alongside them, but we need to have that lens on of like, this is an image bearer who needs to, uh, who needs to know their maker rather than a, a work product to be manipulated towards your own end. Um, and again, this technically isn't like a necessary requirement for evangelism, but I think it's wise and it's modeled by Jesus himself. Like Jesus, Jesus prioritized and he pursued relationships with folks as he was sharing the gospel with them. So there's many examples. Uh, we're not going to look at all of them, but you know, I think two, uh, uh, two things to think about is firstly, let them know that you care and love them. Like let your colleagues show your colleagues that you actually care about them, that you love them, that you're willing to sacrifice for them especially those you know who the people who are the people on like on the fringes of your workplace you know who the people (laughs) the people that are you know maybe not invited to certain things or kind of left out on the margins like not prioritized not given encouragement like ask god to give you eyes to see who those people are like jesus pursued people on the margins all the time mark one you can go and read it later but it's Jesus healing a leper, and lepers were, you know, on the outcast of society. Nobody wanted to get close to them. Nobody wanted to touch them. And Jesus goes and touches him, and he, he, he's right in front of him, pursuing relationship with him. Um, and then secondly, um, 
Yeah, what does it look like to actually like have compassion and, and actively serve them as a means of building relationships? So let's just read real briefly Matthew 14, 13 through 21. I think this is just a great example of how Jesus, as he was sharing the gospel and proclaiming the word to them, had tangible, active ways in which he was building relationship and meeting their needs. So Matthew 14, 13 through 21. And I'm just going to read it quick, but it says... Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place. The day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. Uh, you know, And then the... Passage goes on, and Jesus miraculously feeds the 5,000, and he's ultimately pointing to himself as the true bread of life who can, um, uh, who is, who is uh, whom they are longing uh, for, for salvation. But what we see in this passage is, though the, the crowd is, they've traveled a long way, they're tired, the disciples are cl- clearly tired. If you read the other gospel accounts of this passage, like, the ty- disciples are like, All right, just get these people away, like, we need to rest. Like, we came to this desolate place so we could recharge for, for good for good ministry. But Jesus saw the crowd, and as a good shepherd, he had compassion on them. Um, and out of his compassion, he heals their sick, he feeds them. Jesus meets the crowd whom he has been preaching to, like they had heard the message, which is why they wanted to come and hear more of Jesus' teaching. But he, he also provides physical, tangible love and care uh, to these people whom he is evangelizing. And, you know, as we know from other uh, examples in Jesus' ministry, like he always saw and pursued those who were on the margins. And so we too need to pursue those on the margins of our own marketplace and our own workplaces. So just some applications for us. Number one, Actively seek to know your colleagues by asking them questions about their life, their family, and their background. Like when you're getting to know a new colleague, like take the first 10 minutes of the Zoom call to be like, hey, tell me a little bit more about yourself. Where are you from? Where'd you go to school? Tell me about your family. What hobbies do you, like just get to know them. Like don't make everything about work all the time. And honestly, people might be surprised. Like, you know, they may, you may actually see them be visibly, visibly taken back because nobody takes the time to actually ask them those questions and then when they say something about their family or like oh like yeah my my mom's actually like my mom's struggling with cancer right now or you know the list goes on like the next week the next day ask them hey how's your how's your mom doing like i was was praying for you and that like i was praying for for healing for your mom like be proactive in knowing them not as work products but actually as as image bearers if somebody gets sick or has a baby be the first person to start a meal train for them like actively engage in loving service to your colleagues like especially outside of work so needs that they you know uh uh situations that they need help with care for them in ways that is uncommon um um and try to yeah try to be the the one that's proactively doing that um as a model for for your other colleagues as well um leverage your lunch times to go out with colleagues like Obviously, leverage your, no, I mean, get in the word uh, as well, but like those opportunities that you have to get lunch with your colleagues, like go get lunch with them and get to know them, ask them questions, ask about their spiritual, uh, their spiritual backgrounds. Um, it's in those opportunities outside of the workplace that a lot of times people are going to let their guard down and you can actually get to know them because at work, everybody's like, you know, trying to protect themselves and <laughs> get to the next level. So 
take advantage of those opportunities outside of work. For instance, I was uh, in consulting right out of college, and the first couple of months, like, I feel like there was a happy hour every, like, every other day, and I tried to go as much as possible. And even though I wasn't, at that time, I wasn't, I wasn't drinking, and honestly, even that, like, opened doors for me to just talk about, uh, like, my faith and how I viewed certain things, and, um, yeah, so be proactive and, and going to those outside of work company events or invite them to things outside of the work so, you, so that you can get to know them. Um, have their family over for dinner, just as you guys did this week. Like, invite them into your home, hospitality. Uh, show them radical hospitality. A lot of times, like, if you, if you, you guys should read the book, um, The Gospel Comes with a House Key by Rosaria Butterfield. It's just a great, she's a faithful, bold sister who has people in her house every day of the week from her neighborhood, from the work. Like, it's, it's just amazing how hospitality uh, goes a long way in, in providing open doors for conversation and, and gospel gospel proclamation. You know, this is maybe for me, but play golf with a, with a colleague. Like, take advantage of those common interests. Like, go play golf. Go watch a sporting event together. Like, just get to know them outside of work. So seek out relationships with your colleagues serve them get to know them show them that you actually care um secondly uh build trust and uh, rapport with them and i'm not we're running out of time uh but paul you see paul doing this in acts all the time like he 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 understands who his audience is he understands how they're thinking he understands where they're coming from because he's gotten to know them and then he uses that as he's proclaiming the gospel to build rapport and show them that he actually understands where they're coming from and how he cares for them. So in Acts 17, he, he goes, uh, I think he's in Athens, and uh, it says, he says, I see you guys are a very you know, religious people, and he's referencing the statue that says, to an unknown God we worship. And so he's, he's using that at the start of his gospel message to build common ground of like, yeah, I, look, I know, I know where you guys are coming from. I see that this is how you guys are living. But let me tell you about the God whom I know and whom we worship in spirit and in truth. So he found common ground with them to actually proclaim the gospel. Hannah, just as your example of, hey, you know they, they grew up Catholic or they go to Catholic church, like use that as, as common, uh, common, common ground to, to share, the, uh, share the gospel with them. I'd also just say, like, take note of their, like, what are their wants? What are their fears? What are the things that they struggle with? As you get to know them, you're going you're gonna to pick up on those things. And the gospel applies to every single area of life. And so there's going to be ways in which you can contextualize the gospel to meet them where they're at. So if they're, like, more than likely, a lot of your colleagues are struggling with deep, <laughs> deep-rooted anxiety uh, and or depression. Like, pick up on that. Ask the Spirit to reveal those things to you. And then you can, you can share the gospel with them by way of saying how God has actually helped you through your anxiety or dealing with your anxiety because of what Christ has done for you. Um, there's going to be a lot of open doors for, for that. So seek out relationship. Secondly, scatter seeds often. So Jesus was constantly scattering gospel seeds each and every day. In some conversations and interactions, he was, more, or he was able to, to share the gospel more fully and bluntly. Um, but other times he would share parables uh, to the crowds, he would, you know, which are basically examples of everyday life that point to a heavenly reality. And so there will likely be many opportunities for, for us to start planting seeds early that can help, help in our eventual full gospel conversations with our colleagues. So be proactive in talking about your church uh, family and your schedule. Like, Monday morning, what'd you do this weekend? 
share that you went to church. It's going to be tempting, as it has been for me, to be like, ah, you know, we hung out with friends, blah, 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 blah. It's like, no, I went to church, got to worship with, you know, with our church family. Like, I learned this from the sermon. It was, it was really helpful. Yeah, they may be like, that's stupid. Who cares? Like, you're, you're intentionally scattering seeds that show them, oh, there's something, to, there's something different about this person. Uh, and it may actually prompt them to ask a question. What church do you go to? Why do you go to that church? Tell me more. Um, uh, if appropriate, and, you know, again, there's wisdom in when and how to do that. Is it over email? Is it, you know, over the water cooler? Is it at lunch? But share that you're going to pray for that colleague situation. So if they talk about hard work situation with a colleague or a family member who's sick or something that they're struggling with, just say like, hey, I'm, do you mind if I pray for you uh, uh, right now? Or I'm going to pray for you later. Um, and just, you know, that even might cause them to like, oh, that was, that, was, that was awesome. Some people may, I've had this happen all the time, like, be like, ah, no, I'm good. Like, that's, that's stupid. Great, you can still pray for them. <laughs> God would open their heart to realize that they need, that they need prayer. Um, now, we're going to get into this in a few weeks more fully, but here, here's, here could be an example of scattering gospel seed. If your company asks everyone to put, you know, pronouns in, in your email signatures, maybe refrain from doing so. And then if someone asks why, like, be like, hey, I'd love to grab you know, lunch or dinner with you and, and talk more fully about kind of how I view uh, life and sexuality and what the Bible has to say about that. Like, be proactive in distinguishing yourself from the world um, that can lead towards gospel conversation. Now, again, we're going to get into how do we address LGBTQ issues in the, in the, um, in the workplace. Uh, and admittedly, this is something I'm, like, just starting to think about, and Patrick Trailer uh, is going to lead a panel discussion on that because this is... This is going to be something that's increasingly a dividing line, uh, but actually could provide a lot of good gospel opportunities. Um, then lastly, you know, as you're scattering gospel seed, like when you're having lunch with your colleagues or you're chatting about a re- relevant topic in a meeting, like politics or culture or something that the gospel directly speaks to, like don't shy away from giving a gospel worldview perspective on it. Like uh, even at IJM, like as people were crushed because of so-and-so winning the election, it's like it was a good opportunity for me to be and, and others to be like, yeah, though, you know, though so-and-so won or whatever, like, uh, you know, fundamentally I'm trusting that God is sovereign, that, that he's actually the one ruling and reigning, that, that we have hope that no king or ruler could bring. And so there's going to be little ways in which you can proactively and preemptively share about how the gospel shapes your worldview, which is directly applicable to those, um, to those conversations that are being had. Other examples of a way you can scatter gospel seeds, um, maybe that isn't fully sharing the gospel yet, but is prompting those conversations, examples that you guys have had or you can think of. Last Even just saying like, hey, like I'll, you know, I'll check my computer when I get back. I do a Bible study every Saturday morning, so like I can't do that right now. Mm. Um, even something as small as that, I think that's is, good. Is a good way to just like show that, you know, while well, most of my colleagues are probably waking up after a long night on Saturday mornings, like I'm different, and like my priorities are different. That's good. Yeah, and, and <laughs> this has happened so many, so many times in my own heart. It's like a temptation is to be like, I'm busy. Yeah. And just to say that. But like, here's an opportunity to to share what you're prioritizing and why you're prioritizing that, even with not responding to email on Sundays. Like, just explain why and 
yeah, it could result in something negative in your career, but at the end of the day, the Lord might actually use that to open a door to, to fully proclaim the gospel, which is better. So uh, three and four, we're going to go through these quickly, but share the gospel. Like we want to pray and labor that we can actually share the gospel with them. Um, and honestly, this likely will happen outside of work. Um, it can happen inside work, but you know, if you're working in the government, I know there's certain regulations. If you're a manager of people, if you're reporting to someone, just be cognizant, but you can share the, like, the company cannot regulate whether or not you share the gospel with a coworker outside of work. And ultimately, our allegiance is to King Jesus, and we're accountable to him, and he will guide and protect and preserve us as he sees fit. But we need not, you know, I've heard a couple people say, like, oh, well, my company forbids it. Great, they don't forbid it out, you know, outside of work. Like, have them over for dinner and then share the gospel with them. So, um, yeah, be wise and, and cognizant of your company's policies, but... You're still around those people, getting to know them, and then outside of the work, you can share the gospel. And if the Lord presents an opportunity to share it at work, share it and trust, leave the consequences up to God. Because ultimately, uh, you know, in that example in Acts 4, the Jewish leaders are saying, you are not to proclaim this message anymore. Like the authorities are telling them no. Uh, And Peter and John and the apostles are like, well, we're going to keep proclaiming Christ. Well, um, famous last words I I did go over, so... (laughs) We'll see. Yeah, we'll see y'all later. Thanks, guys. Um, so read through Acts ten later, Acts ten thirty four through forty three, and just see an example. Read through the entire book of Acts and see how the apostles shared the gospel. That's what I've been doing recently, and it's incredible to see their boldness and how they frame the gospel and how explicit they are. I love I love the different ways in which they share it. But at the end of the day, as you see in Acts ten. Um, it's a narrative, but you see Peter hit on Jesus's perfect life, his sacrificial death, his glorious resurrection, and then he calls for repentance and faith. And so every gospel message is going to present those elements. Now you can expand, and there's a million things that you can can talk to that. But we need to cover that we are that there is a holy God uh, who created us to know Him. That we've rejected Him, but He's paved a way through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And to know him and to have your sins forgiven, you need to repent of your sin and turn to him in faith. Um, another opportunity would be to start a Bible study for coworkers uh, outside of work. Invite them to it and open the word and share the gospel that way. Um, or invite them to church and take them out to lunch after and discuss. Like maybe it's uh, week number five that you said, oh, you know, I'm go- I went to church yesterday. How was your weekend? Take that as an opportunity. Hey, would you like to come with me sometime? They could say no. Keep inviting them and see, see how the Lord might use that. And then lastly, squash the enemy's schemes. Now, we talked a little bit about this, but the enemy hates that we're even having this class, and he hates the thought of you or I sharing the gospel with our coworkers. He would prefer us to view our workplaces as off-limits to the gospel or to not even have us really think about spiritual things in our work. And so there's going to be many ways in which he, he tries to attack and prevent us from evangelism at work. And again, we covered some of them, but two more, two more ways. Number one, he might tempt you to fear persecution, so much so that, like, oh, if I share the gospel with this person, I may lose my job. So, you know, at the end of the day, like, if that happens, this sounds harsh, but, like, John Henderson would say, so what? Like, God, God will still provide. God, uh, God will take care of you. Like, leave the consequences up to him. Um, 
Like he's going to tempt us to fear man, making us more concerned with the coworkers' response to us rather than their response to Jesus himself. Uh, and that may prevent us from, from actually sharing the gospel. So it's just helpful to identify those, those schemes and then squash them with the word of God. What scripture comes to mind or what scripture are, is there to proactively uh, destroy that lie from the enemy? So, you know, Romans 8, 28, um, for fear of persecution, like, for God works all things for the good of, of those who love them and are called according to his purpose. Like what love can, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Like know the word so that we can, when those lies come, we can squash them with, with the truth of God's word. So build relationships, scatter gospel seeds, share the gospel explicitly, uh, and let's be proactive in, in, in squashing the enemy's schemes. Um, now, we're out of time, but uh, maybe at, in a future week we can talk about, and I can stay after, but, you know, what if I'm a boss? Like, how do I approach sharing the gospel with those who report to me? I think there's some unique things that we could talk about there. You know, again, what if my company for, forbids it? What happens if I get fired? I think these are some things that we should talk about in future weeks and talk amongst, uh, uh, amongst yourselves. Like, grab lunch and talk about all these what ifs uh, and look to the word and see what, see what the Lord has to say about them. Let me pray. Uh, to close our time and then spend some time today outside of this class because we should have had more time to do this but be praying for your colleagues spend some time praying for them by name that god might open their hearts that he might open a door for you to proclaim to them Uh, and then also ask him to reveal yeah what lies are you believing or what lies are you tempted towards uh, and turn to the word in that father thank you for this day thank you that your word is truth Thank you that you've, yeah, you've, uh, what a gift it is that we have your word. Uh, And Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he came and he lived the life we should have lived. He died the death that we deserved. And he rose in glorious power and defeated death and sin and uh, has transferred us from the dominion of darkness uh, to to the dominion and kingdom of God. We thank you for the gospel. Uh, And Lord, we do pray that you might give us eyes to see our colleagues as spiritual beings who need to know you above all else. God, give us fervency in evangelism. Open doors for evangelism. Give us wisdom in when and how to share Christ with our colleagues. And might you produce much fruit leading towards many people who do not yet know you that would come to know you and serve you all their days. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.